Good morning. Ronnie's not feeling well today, so I asked you to be praying for him. So I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity uh, to uh, share what I call my story. It's really my testimony. Uh, Each of you, if you're saved, you have a testimony, you have a story yourself. And our stories are made up of defining moments in our life, throughout our life. Uh, Defining moments or moments in our life that completely change direction or alter the direction that we're headed But those times when we know that either God's hand is moving us or directing us in a certain direction, even if we don't always realize it. And so as I look back over my story and I reflect on my story, uh, there are several of those moments that I'm going to share with you today. Uh, The Apostle Paul uh, is one of my heroes in the Bible. Uh, Not only did he write most of the New Testament as far as the books go, uh, but he was one of the greatest evangelists and missionaries known to man. The Apostle Paul had one of those defining moments, I think we could say. In Acts chapter 9, he was on his way to persecute the church in Damascus. He had gotten permission from the high priest, and that's what he did. He went around persecuting Christians and arresting those who were following Christ. But on that day, on his way, he had an encounter with Jesus. And it reads in verse 3, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission... A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, that was his name at the time, Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now on that day, the Apostle Paul not only saw his name change, but he saw his position in Christ change. You see, he went from being a pursuer of Christ to being in Christ. He saw his occupation change. He went from being a persecutor of the church to being a preacher of the gospel. That was a defining moment for him. If you are a believer in Christ today, you should have a defining moment. Maybe it's not exactly like the Apostle Paul, but a moment that you can remember when you had an encounter with Jesus Christ. For me, that was on March the 25th, 1990. Now, as I share this story with you, I want you to know that there are some aspects of this story that are hard for me to share because I had to relive and revisit some very painful moments in my life. I had to relive and revisit some things that I'm not very proud of. But it's all a part of the story. On March 25th, 1990, that day I walked into a little church in Salem, South Carolina called Calvary Baptist Church. Now the only reason that I was there that day, and I want you to remember this phrase, was because of a promise and a friend. That was the only thing that brought me there that day. A promise and a friend. As I walked into the door, I got there right about the time the service started. I started looking for a back seat, and believe it or not, I couldn't find one. You know, I found out later on that that was pretty much standard practice in church, especially Baptist churches, that you're supposed to feel from the back forward. Uh, We practice that here. And uh, so, but there wasn't any room in the back. I began to look around, very little room anywhere except for one seat there on the aisle. 
And so I went and sat down, and my goal for that day was just to get through this thing, and I was going to go meet my friends. Uh, we were going to do what we do on Sunday, watch NASCAR and drink. Uh, that's what I pretty much did during NASCAR season, then football season, whatever season it was, that's what we did. And so I just wanted to get through this. As I sat down, I began to look around, and I began to notice some things. Now, it's odd that there's some aspects of that day that I remember very clearly, just as if it had happened yesterday, and there's other aspects of it I can't remember at all. Some of the things that I remember very clearly as I looked around were pe people were smiling, they were laughing. I remember the way people spoke to me and greeted me during the fellowship time, and, and I don't know why that meant so much to me then, other than the fact that I had a very negative opinion of life, a very negative outlook on life. Matter of fact, my theology at the time was that we were living either in hell or heaven here on earth. Uh, it all depended on how your situation worked out. Some people were very privileged to have a good life, a happy life. Uh, then the rest of us were simply living out hell here on earth. And then when we died, it was just it. It was over. And so that's kind of the way I viewed life at that moment. And so I saw all these people, they were happy, they were smiling, uh, they started to sing and they seemed to enjoy it. There was something about them that I just didn't understand. Because most of my friends, it was all kind of gloomy. I hung out in bars where people were depressed for the most part. And so I didn't quite get what was going on at that moment. Uh, a very young, tie and suit, clean-shaven Ronnie Hodge gets up. You can imagine that. And he preaches that day. And again, there are certain things I don't remember. I don't remember a word he said. I wasn't asleep. I know that's what you're thinking. I didn't fall asleep, but I don't really remember what he preached that day. I'm sure he does, and he could tell me. But I remember there was a voice in my heart that day. Matter of fact, there were two voices in my heart that day. And you may think I'm crazy when I say this, but honestly, there was like a war going on inside of me. And on one side, this voice was saying, don't do it. This summer, you got all these things you're looking forward to, you know, all this partying and drinking, all these things that you're going to do with your friends. You're young. I was 22 at the time. Don't do it. And then the other voice on the other side was saying, look at your life, man. Look at the way you feel. The hurt, the hopelessness that you feel. Look where it's gotten you so far. Why don't you let me take over? And so I was battling that all through the sermon. And then when the invitation was given, it was a traditional invitation where you were invited to walk the aisle. And even though this wasn't a large building, uh, that was something I just didn't do. As a child, I almost did that a couple of times and even felt as a child I needed to do that, but I wasn't about to walk down in front of all these people. And here I was in a church where I only knew one person and he was sitting about as far away from me as you could get. And so I'm standing there and this war is going on inside of me. And I'm trying to decide what I need to do. It's just like, it's just drug on forever, it felt like at the time. And finally, I got enough courage to step out, just take that one step. And I think I even had to rock myself and get my weight shifted. And, and, and when I took that next step, the next thing I know is standing at the altar.
I have no recollection of walking down an aisle. None. I was standing there at the altar, and this was totally new for me because I've never stood at an altar in a church in my life. And I'm standing there. I didn't know what to do. Ronnie was praying with someone else, and, and so I'm just standing there. Then all of a sudden, someone reaches out and touches me on the shoulder. I told you I was there because of a promise and a friend. Now, evidently, he was looking around when he was told not to look around. So shame on him. Some of you do that too, don't you? <laughs> and he touched me on the shoulder. It was Gerald Tao. And he asked me this question. He says, have you come today to receive Christ? Now, I don't know exactly how he put it, and I thought to myself, why else would you think I'm standing here, brother? <laughs> I'm standing here in this little church in Salem, South Carolina. I don't know anybody, and I'm standing, and you're asking me that question. Yes, I've come for that reason. And so we knelt down and prayed. And really, I didn't understand what was going on at the time, even though I was raised in church. I really didn't understand. All I knew is when I started praying, it's like the gates opened up, and I began to cry. And all that pain and all that ugliness began to leave me. When I left that day, I didn't feel any different physically. Spiritually, again, I didn't really understand what was going on. I just knew I made a decision. I went home and told my mother Monday morning I went into work and I was telling people, I didn't know any better. That's what I thought you did. So I was just telling everybody what had happened. People didn't believe it. I remember telling a guy at work, and he said, ah, come on. <laughs> but I'll never forget that day. May the 25th, 1990, was a defining moment in my life. As a child, I had a pretty normal life. I was raised in two good homes. Before I was even born, my mother and father had separated and remarried pretty quickly. So I knew my step-parents about as long as I have my parents, well, as far back as I can remember. And so I lived with my mother during the week and my stepfather. And then on the weekends, I would go and stay with my dad. He went to church. My mother didn't at the time. Uh, they were good people, honest people, uh, family-oriented people. And my mother taught me, well, she just didn't go to church at the time. And so I would go to church with my dad on the weekends, and because I was only there for the weekends, I was just a Sunday morning um, attender. I went to Sunday school, and I went to worship. I didn't enjoy church much when I was a kid. I went to what I call military church. Some of you grew up in military church. It's one of those churches you went in, you sat down, you shut up, you didn't move. And, and you stayed there until the end, and then you left. And if you did move, there were consequences. You get your finger mashed or ear pinched or head slapped, and, and it was called reverence. You know what I'm talking about. And I developed a healthy respect for the church, but as a child, it wasn't very fun for me. And so I thank God that we have children's ministries now in churches, and, and kids can go learn on their own level and enjoy church and get a healthy perspective of what church is all about. But I didn't enjoy church. I didn't get to participate in any of the youth events that, took, uh, that ha happened during the week because I was only there Sunday morning. 
And so I grew up that way in church, and then about the age of 14, something happened, and I really don't even know to the day what it was, uh, but my dad was not very happy with it, and so he quit going to church. Well, when he quit going to church, guess what? I quit going to church. If he wasn't going to go, he couldn't make me go. He couldn't say anything about it. And so at the age of 14, I quit going to church. So I'm an unsaved 14-year-old kid, now not in church. At this time, I'm in high school, and I'm starting to catch on to this social thing, the scenes that are going on in high school. About the age of 16, or somewhere along in there, when I was getting into about the 11th grade, uh, a group of kids that I started hanging out with, they were good kids, but uh, they loved to party. And so I got into the partying thing. I found out that there were parties that went on on the weekend. And so I'd go to find those parties, and we would drink, and... We'd carry on and do all kinds of crazy things. And, and obviously, if you could look back and see my grades in high school, you realize I didn't really realize what high school was or what it was really all about. I loved high school. I just didn't love the academic side of it. What is education anyway, right? <laughs> Don't tell my girls that. I, they not, I say a totally different story now. But I didn't do too well as far as my grades go. But I enjoyed high school uh, probably too much in the wrong way. And so once I graduated high school, somehow, I made it through. I went into the workforce. I found me a job and, and was going to settle in with that job. And for me, I was making a lot of money. And it's the way it is when you're living at home. You don't have any bills. I was uh, getting paychecks and wasn't even cashing them for two or three weeks. I thought I was really doing well. Uh, but there was a few things missing. I really felt like I needed somebody, somebody in my life, a girl or something. And so I met a girl. Uh, actually, before I went to work in this plan, I met a girl, and, and we started dating, and we got really serious. Now, when I look back and I talk to young people today, I don't really realize how dumb I was when I was young, too, but uh, that's kind of the way it is when you're young. You don't really realize you haven't gained the wisdom yet that you need for life, and so you make a lot of dumb decisions. And, and so I, I, I met this girl, and we started dating. She was like a junior in high school. I just graduated high school, and we fell in love. Later on, she began to talk about marriage and getting married. Now, she's a senior in high school at this time, and this is what I mean by doing some dumb things. I asked a senior in high school. Now, if you've done that, don't, please don't get offended by me saying that. I'm just saying it wasn't the smartest thing for me to do. I know if some boy asked my daughter, a senior in high school, I don't know that I'd be too happy about it, but I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. And so that way, I'm 20 years old, she's 18 years old, and we're planning on getting married. But to make a long story short, I thought at this point in my life, I had the job, I had the girl, and I had the friends, I was having fun. I thought I had everything situated, figured out. I thought, man, this is the way my life is going to be. Yeah, I struggled through high school, but all of a sudden everything seemed to be falling into place. Uh, I'm happy in every area of my life. I have a great relationship, I have a good job. Man, I'm on cloud nine. I'm satisfied. With everything in my life, I'm happy. Now, all this time, I had met a guy by the name of Gerald Tao. Some of you know him. And if you know anything about Gerald, it's hard to be around Gerald without him talking about church or Jesus. And so every time I'd get around him, that's what he'd be talking about, Jesus or church. And so I avoided him a lot. But at the same time, he was my friend. And so we spent a lot of time together talking. I would listen and I would agree with a lot that he was saying. But at the same time, I didn't see any need for it in my life at the time. Because, again, uh, 
I thought everything was perfect. My life was perfect. Until one day, I received a phone call. And I guess I just couldn't read the signs, but I received a phone call. And in that one phone call, everything that I had built my life on was gone. You see, my fiancé at the time decided that she no longer wanted to get married, which was probably a good decision at the time. I just couldn't see it. But not only did she not want to get married, she didn't want to be with me anymore. And what may seem like a silly thing to those who are more mature at the time for me was a crushing blow. I'm telling you, it ripped my heart out of my chest. It was worse than death, I believe. And I was heartbroken. I was crushed. I spent days just crying. And even though I wasn't saved, I did a lot of praying then. I remember talking to Gerald about getting a Bible because I didn't have a Bible. And he actually got me a Bible. And, and I took that Bible and I put it on uh, the, at the head of my bed. I don't know what good I thought it would do, but I set it up there and, and I never read it. I just set it up there. Still in the box. Never took it out of the box. I didn't want to get it dirty. So I just set it up there. But I tell you, I did some strong praying. Probably some of the most passionate praying that I've ever done in my life was during that time. But they were selfish prayers. See, I just wanted my problems fixed. I just wanted everything back the way it was. And when things didn't happen the way that I thought they did, I became angry. And I became deeply depressed during those days. I can remember sitting in my apartment all by myself, and I had been drinking that day, and for some reason I thought it would be a good idea to give her a call. You know, maybe things have changed. Maybe she changed her mind. And so I did, and, and that was a mistake. Because when I got off the phone, I was even more depressed. And drinking and depression doesn't work too well together. And in that moment, I began to have some very scary thoughts. I honestly wanted to take my life. And in that moment, I began to think about how I could do this. You know, how can I end it? How can I get myself or put myself out of this misery I just wanted to die and I'm not saying that just to be dramatic I'm telling you the truth I wanted to die that was probably the lowest moment of my life I don't know how I was going to do it I just wanted it over with but these thoughts kept coming to me what about your mother no, there's nothing like a mother's love. And I knew Mama loved me. How would she feel about it? And what about Dad? How would he feel about it? All these people, you think that this would cause problems or hurt. They would go on with their life. But the people that really love you, they're the ones that are going to be hurt. And so the next morning I got up, I went over to my mother's house and I had the engagement ring. And when she came to the door, I showed her the ring and I just started crying. She thought my brother had died or something that happened. She didn't know. I mean, I was just squalling and I couldn't control it. I mean, it was just flooding out. 
And I sat there, and she held me as I cried for I don't know how long. Before I finally could get some words out and explain to her what was going on. I tell you, one of the most humbling experiences for me is carrying that ring back to the jeweler and getting my money somewhat back. He only canceled the debt that I owed and gave me credit for the money that I'd paid, which was good again for my mother because the next few Mother's Days and Christmases were really good for Mama. Uh, I just went down there and took it off my credit. That was good. It worked out fine for her. But it was somewhat humiliating to me to have to do that. And so the answer to all of this for me was just to get deeper into what I was doing. The things that I did find some joy in, uh, the partying, the drinking. I went out and bought a new car. It was a Mustang GT. And and I thought if I had a cool car, it's going to fix all of my problems. And it was fast. And and man, you know, it it was exciting and all of that. And, And so I just got deeper and deeper and deeper into that scene, that lifestyle. But none of it was fixing anything. I still had that emptiness. I still had that hopelessness feeling in me. I I didn't know what it was. But I had this friend. And all along, he's talking to me about Jesus. He's telling me about Jesus. And, and, And I thought I knew all about church. I grew up in church. And I tell him I grew up in church. Man, I know all about that. I don't want it. If that's what church is, I didn't want it. But he was so persistent and so consistent in inviting me to church and encouraging me to attend church. One day while coming home from a friend's house here in Wahala, I'd been drinking late into the night, and as I've done many times before, I was headed home, even in the condition I was in. I've done that many times before, and sometimes not even knowing how I got home. I know it was wrong. I'm ashamed of it today, but I did it. And I was headed home on the coffee road, and, and I don't even know what happened. I don't even remember much about it, and hadn't gotten far down the road till all of a sudden I come to a sudden stop. And I was confused. So I got out of the car, and I'm walking around, and it didn't really pay much attention to my vehicle at all. Later on, I found out that I'd hit a tree so hard it crushed the engine, plumbed back into the driver's seat. Uh, fortunately for me, I didn't even have a bruise on me. I called a good friend of mine who had some influence, and he came and helped me, and, and he got me out of a DUI charge. And I did get a ticket, but it wasn't DUI, and he kind of helped me through that. But that evening, right after the accident, I'm wandering up and down the road. It was uh, snow flurries that evening. It was cold, and I'm just walking. And the whole time that I'm walking around out here, and this is for the time of cell phones, believe it or not, young people, they think there's always been cell phones forever. <laughs> I didn't have a cell phone. And, and uh, I'm walking around out here, and in my mind, all these thoughts are going on. And it's Gerald Talley, he's in my head. And uh, he's telling me about Jesus in my head. I'm remembering all these things that he's told me. I'm remembering all the things I learned in Sunday school. I'm remembering all this stuff uh, that I need to be thinking about. And I'm going all over that, over and over and over. I don't know how long I wandered around. It seemed like an hour, but probably no more than five minutes. And I guess the perfect ending here is that I fell on my knees right there in the road with my hands outstretched to the sky with the snow falling and, 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 and asked Jesus into my heart, but I didn't. A gentleman turned his porch light on. He invited me in. He helped me out. I was able to make the phone call. And, and then after that, I went and bought another vehicle and, and just kept on going, just kept on doing what I do. Until finally, Gerald invited me one Sunday 
And I told him, I said, you're okay, listen, I'm going to come. I'm going to be there. You've invited me a thousand times now. I'm going to show up. That Sunday morning, what Gerald would do, if he had any, any idea at all that I may come, he'd call me that morning at my house and try to wake me up because he knew how late I'd stay out. Well, that Sunday, I did stay out late that night, and, and uh, I heard the phone ringing, and I didn't answer it. I knew who it was and didn't want to talk to him because I wasn't going to go, and I didn't go. I felt bad about it because I told him I probably would, and I didn't know until later on that that Gerald really got discouraged with me and frustrated with me, and he didn't know if I'd ever get saved, to be honest with you. But he never let on any of that. He just kept inviting, kept encouraging. Well, I felt so bad about that, that that Monday when I went into work, I made a mistake, and I promised him. Next Sunday, I'll be there. I promise you, next Sunday, I'll be there. Now, I was a lot of things, but one of the things I try to do is try to be good to my word, my promises. And so... I'd made this promise to this friend that I'd be at church. And so the next Saturday night again, I go out and I look at my buddies and I say, listen, I'm going to have to leave early, probably around 12. <laughs> and I'm going to go home and i got to go to church next morning. Now you'd think they'd look at me like, are you crazy? But all of us grew up in church and we all had somewhat of a respect for church and so it wasn't a big deal to them, and so I went home. I got up next morning. Gerald made the phone call. I answered the phone that day, and then I went to church. Now, I didn't know this until later, but come to find out, Gerald went to church that morning before I ever got there. He and Ronnie got together, and they prayed for me, so that wasn't fair. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> they'd already prepared this whole thing and set me up, and uh, they prayed for me that day. That day was the greatest day in my life. That day changed my life. Everything leading up to that, God's hand was in leading me, directing me, guiding me, protecting me. I had to go through the pain. I had to go through the hurt. I had to go through the depression in order to get me to the place where I was broken enough to turn my life over to Christ. And I know this opportunity for me to share today wasn't planned until about Thursday or Friday. But I do believe there's somebody here that knows exactly where I was. There's somebody here who can relate. There's somebody here maybe on the verge of that decision themselves. And maybe it's you. I will never be the same because of that day. After I got saved, I began to read my Bible, and this verse was one of the first verses that kind of jumped out to me, and it stuck with me ever since, and it's kind of my life verse. It's Galatians 2.20. And it reads like this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, there was a time in my life I wanted to die, and then there was a time in my life I did die. On March 25th, 1990, I died to myself and became alive to Christ. On that day, the old me was gone, and the new me had been ushered in. On that day, I received hope. On that day, I received a purpose in life. Now, God had to work on me gradually, and He's still working on me some 26 years later. 
I can't believe it's been 26 years uh, since that day. He's still working on me. Here's the thought I want you to leave here with today is this. There is no story without Jesus. There is no story without Jesus. That's my story. You have a story. But there is no complete story without Jesus. You see, my story would just be empty. My story would be uh, without end or out of positive end or out of good end if it wasn't for Jesus. Matter of fact, I believe with all of my heart, and I'm not just saying this, that if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, not only would I not be here today, I do not think I'd be alive today. Because the path that I was headed down was eventually going to cost me something dearly. I'd been lucky to that point, but there were warning signs that God was giving me to keep me safe. You have an opportunity today to make your story complete. Jesus is the answer. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Again, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're going through, what you've been through, what you're facing. I don't know any of those things. Only God does. But you're not here by accident. This is a divine appointment. Maybe you're sitting there just like I was some 26 years ago with these voices arguing back and forth. Maybe one voice is telling you you're too young, you've got plenty of time. You don't have to make that decision right now. And then there's the other voice that is reaching out to you and telling you, I love you. I died for you. I can provide hope. I can provide purpose. I can give you joy in life, fulfillment. You don't have to keep going down this same path. You may be ready to make that decision today and you may not. But I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me right where you're sitting. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to point you out. We're not going to do anything to make you feel uncomfortable. Right where you're sitting, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer to yourself. If you need to receive Jesus today, just say something like this. Dear Jesus, Today I need you. I've been doing things my own way. Making my own decisions. This only crawls me heartache and pain. Jesus, I realize today that I need you. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you are the Son of God. And based on that, Jesus, forgive me. I'm surrendering myself to you as my Lord and inviting you to be my Savior. Jesus, save me today. And I promise from this point on that I'm going to do everything that I can to live for you head still bowed and eyes closed I just going to ask you to do me a favor again I'm not wanting to embarrass you I just want to pray for you if 
If you prayed that prayer, would you just lift up your hand? Prayed that prayer, would you just lift up your hand? you to follow through on this decision that you have made by either coming up here right after the service and talking to me as people are exiting the room or contacting me sometime this week. And I'm going to be standing right up front here and so after the service you just mingle on over here and, and I just want to talk to you a second, okay? About this decision that you've made today. It's the greatest decision you've ever made. And I'm so proud that you've made that decision today. I know God's going to do wonderful things. Father, thank you, God, for your work in this place today. God, as I look back over my story, or a lot of it, I'm ashamed of a lot of things that I wish I hadn't done, a lot of experiences I wish I could have avoided. And the only regret that I have is that I didn't make a decision earlier in life. God, your plan. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for the ones who have made this decision this morning. Father, we love you and we give you all the praise and glory. Of course, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys, and have a great and wonderful week.